Welcome to episode 252 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. Mm -hmm. My name is Michael, and with me today are Ryan, Jill, and Noah. And just off camera, we have also piped in direct from Jitsi, is our glorious community of fact-checking, ego-busting patrons. And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to take a look at Fedora 35. Now that it's out, we're going to do like a, a basically a, a full-on review, because we all try different versions of Fedora 35. Yeah. We're excited to talk about that. That. And all of our hosts have just like, uh, well, I mean, maybe Ryan has something valuable to say because it's not Arch. We'll see. We'll see. Then we're going to discuss a new desktop environment that is, has been talked about this week from System76, and I'm very excited to talk about that. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks, all this and much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. This week in our community feedback, Parker writes us to say, I've recently been thinking and had a bit of an epiphany. We don't need to get more users. We've won the server, which is in my opinion, better than the desktop because you don't have questionable people who know nothing about Linux bothering everyone and taking up their time. As it is, only technical people will use Linux, which means you'll get better help from technical people and less simple questions mucking up the search results for a solution. Having only technical people in the OS removes many questionable figures, including the government in general, so we can have a more respectful and polite community. It might seem bad sometimes, but it's much better than having millions more people bothering the forums. Either way, only having smart people makes for a more civilized community. Just my two cents, Parker. Now, I do want to note that I did modify this email a little bit towards the end there because it included some of the politics and stuff like that. So I took that out because we want to stay generic from that. But that's the general gist of the email. And I think on the onset, it sounds like an interesting idea, Parker, of like, what if we just had a community full of only technical people that were really smart? But I think that's kind of how Linux started out. Um, also, I think there's very there's a lot of questionable, technically inclined individuals, as someone who works in tech as my career, that I wouldn't want to hang out with outside of work necessarily. Uh, because they're not the nicest people or they're individuals who are technical in one thing but know nothing in something else and things like that. So I, who would decide who's the intelligent people that get to use Linux or any of that other stuff? So for me, I think it's an interesting thought. And I do agree that we did win on the server side and we're growing on the desktop side. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of things going on in the community with Linux Tech Tips and other things where people are seeing that there's some things in work we still need to do perhaps on the desktop to grow there. But to me, ultimately, all of that is a positive. And Linux is becoming easier and easier to where you can get anybody in. So I like the idea that the desktop is growing. And I don't think we should get dissuaded from the fact that there's still work to be done on the desktop to get it up to where... Um, maybe people want to see it because when I look in just the few years I've been in Linux, how far the desktops come, it's monumentally different from where I started. <laughs> it is so freaking good now. We take it for granted. I take it for granted. I forget how far we've come so many times on the desktop space. I think the desktop's ripe for the taking. I think people who discount the desktop don't realize that there's trillion dollar companies that made their money off the desktop. I think it's for serious business. You need a good desktop because people want to use at home what they use at work or what they use at school, what they're going to use at their work. It's a very important piece of Linux to take over. And I think we're right at the curve. Don't give up now. 
because we're right mm-hmm. there ready to take on the desktop, I think, for the first time in a long time. That's my opinion. I, I would tell you that industry support has definitely gotten there to the point that if you're not using Linux in the server environment, you're probably doing something wrong. Like companies now look at you a little sideways. If you, hey, I want to deploy a cluster of servers, what are you going to use? Uh, Windows 2021 R2. No, <laughs> like that's not, I mean, seriously, it's just not a thing in, in industry. The other side of that, though, is peer support, right? When we exclude people, we limit that peer support and that peer availability. So for those reasons- Can I jump on that for a second? I think that what it creates, too, is an echo chamber. What I realized when I saw Linus Tech Tips running into issues with Linux is that even in my short tenure with Linux, there were a lot of things he was running into that I take for granted today, and I just work around it from the terminal, or I would just deal with it. Whereas somebody brand new coming into something is running into these issues. And we realize because that we've been working around it all this time, but for a new user, they don't know how to work around it. So if you took a group, a small group of elite technical people, and those were the only ones that use Linux, what you would have is an echo chamber that would never be able to look outside of themselves to see that there's something that needs to change in here. So I think that's a really good point you were making about the small mm -hmm. group. Yeah, there wouldn't be growth. I'll tell you, so the other side to that coin, though, so it's a double-edged sword, right? On one hand, we want to polish things as as much as possible. On the other hand, I think one of the things that is great about Linux, and I think really uh, what Parker is trying to get to in his email, is the larger concern that we don't want Linux, we don't want to take all that is over here or over there and bring it over here. Otherwise, here will become there. We don't want all of the proprietary software and all of the problems and all of the instability and all of the industry control that happens on Windows OS or Mac OS. If we bring all of that into the Linux environment, then we've lost our community and we've lost the identity of our community. So I don't say that to make an excuse when something doesn't work that the way that it should, because we should. We should try to fix those things and we should be aware and look at what our competition has to offer so that we know here's how we meaningfully improve our product. But that can't, or I think what Parker was trying to say, and I I think his point is valid here, is that what we don't want to happen is to is to get is to fester a community of people who who have learned helplessness, who just they show up and well it doesn't work, so I don't, I don't know what to do. Well, what do the logs say? What broke? What doesn't work? Report those things and then let's fix them. And 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 that expectation that the user owns the technology and is aware of it and will take responsibility for the management of their own system is a presupposition of Linux. And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad uh, that's that's a bad environment or a bad culture. I think there's a lot of positives to that. I think we just have to be aware of how daunting that can be to somebody who doesn't have the experience. Right. Yeah. Well, Parker had some really, really good points because this is the age old question. We've been talking about this for years. You know, should we make Linux kind of the walled garden for the technical enthusiasts? And I really don't think so, especially now with the improvements to the desktop. And now that we're we're enhancing it now for the development community, which was traditionally on Mac OS and on Windows. And we're making our desktop better, really, uh, they're making the desktop better for the development community and AI and uh, programming. So because of that, I think it's just going to bring in more, even more technical people. So I think we're going to grow positively. Sure. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that the idea that, you know, Linux needed, needs to be a walled garden, so to speak, of of, of technical, skilled people is like previously it was that way because of necessity. 
Not because it was yeah. the best approach. Yeah. It was just like, in order to use Linux in the very early days, you kind of had to go through a lot of minefields to get it all running. So it kind of mm. created this process of where people who typically for the first 10 years or so at least were, you know, in that mindset of being able to like, okay, I, I'm fine with these, you know, going through the minefield. And mm -hmm. then it becomes more and more as we go, easier and easier to use. And then it, more and more people join because it's just, it's now very simple to get started. And in some cases, the, there are things that you still run into, like Ryan said, that could create an issue that, you know, we don't think about as a problem. And I think it's very valuable to have those people find those problems because it allows you to fix it. And I think that at any point trying to limit the accessibility of Linux is like basically the antithesis of Linux as a as an idea and the antithesis of open source limiting like who should be involved in this kind of thing mm -hmm. defeats the entire point of the platform in my opinion so yeah, it's I, supposed to be for the people yes. an open platform for the people it's one of the key reasons I love Linux so much is the fact that it closes the digital divide. Mm -hmm. that, exactly. that artist kid out there who can't afford the $1,000 Adobe suite has open source options that he can utilize mm -hmm. and an operating system he can utilize on a $50 computer that gets sent or he purchases at, at, at a, a store used or whatnot and can start working on that and be, and, and be able to accomplish that stuff, which you yep. can't do if everything costs $1,000 for a license or... $500 a month for a license. So if you start narrowing that and saying only technical people can do this, you lose one of the key advantages that Linux and open source offers to the world. The thing that we love, uh, one of the things we love the most out of it. And, you know, the Linux, people are co come to Linux because they're curious and, and they want to learn this different operating system and tinker with it. And often the people that are coming over and just using the GUI they start learning the terminal. They they become those more technical people and improve the desktop and the overall OS experience. They start contributing. They start finding yeah. ways to contribute into the project. I agree. And those those same people will eventually use things like they come in for the GUI and they leave with Arch. And I yeah. only <laughs> mentioned that, by the way. I only mentioned that because we received a comment that we're all too big of Arch fans on here, which... I found I have funny. never I have never positively encouraged Arch. Just pointing yeah, that out. So the only one who's positive Arch here is me. So I apologize to the individual that says I'm I'm talking about Arch too much. So what <laughs> I've done in place is I've got a hat. So now the advertisement is always there. So as in everyone, so are, are you saying that as a promise for the rest of the show, you're not going to say the word? You're just going to point to it a lot. <laughs> I'll just point to my hat at points where I feel like Arch is a good representation of the topic <laughs> we're talking. about. Perfect. Yes. See, we take feedback very seriously here. In fact, we want to hear from you. Our audience spans the entire world, and we're excited for you to participate. The more that you write into us, the more we have an opportunity to respond and the more that we can connect. So what we want you to do is send your feedback to comments at destinationlinux.org. We read it. We go through it. The if you can keep it brief and concise, straight to the point, we'll try to get that on the air featured in a show. Ask a question, give us your feedback, something you like, something that you didn't like, or give us a suggestion for the show. If you can't wait, or if you think it's so important that you would like to add, share it with the entire community and not just the hosts of Destination Linux, and we invite you to go over to our forum, dealinform.com. You can get started today with a free account and start interacting with the community immediately.
This episode of Destination Linux, it's brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is proud to announce their app platform service. And you can get started by using our code by going to do.co slash DLN. We're going to give you a $100 free credit and you can check out their new app platform service. What is their app platform service? It is a service that allows you to build modern cloud native apps for less money. Essentially, what your what this service allows is you write the code, you upload that code to your GitLab or GitHub repository, and then you point it to their app platform service. Now, what you're looking for in this case is just a server and you want the server to run whatever it is, the code that you've written. So rather than write the code, compile the code, download the code, go find a server, rent a server, install an operating system, download the code, then compile the code, then run the code, and then you'd have a working server. Now, DigitalOcean will do all of that heavy lifting for you. You can do Node.js, you can do Python, Go, Ruby, PHP, Static Sites, Docker, whatever it is you're doing. If you're working with container images, the app platform service is ready to roll with you. And it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes for a smoother migration path and take control of your infrastructure. So again, go over to do.co slash DLN. That's do.co slash DLN and take advantage of that $100 credit. And a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week of Destination Linux. Well, as, as Ryan is use, is pointing to his hat, let's talk about another hat, and that's Fedora. I actually wasn't. It, that's a good hat. So, <laughs> anyway, we, we had a call out to our community for Fedora 35 testing for a couple episodes, and we wanted to let everybody know that we were also participating in that, and now we're going to be providing a review of sorts for the Fedora 35 release, and not just the Workstation Edition with GNOME or the Plasma Edition, as everybody would expect me to just only do the plasma because that would be very easy because that's what I use anyway. We're going to be covering a bunch of different stuff and I'm excited to jump into that. So now that Fedora 35 is out, we'd love to get everyone's impressions impressions on the new release. And the, the homework was basically simple. Use Fedora 35, capture all your favorite features or any quirks you find, and then bring it to the show and let everybody know what your experience was. Now let's first, before we get into the actual experience, let's talk about some stuff that happened in this latest release of Fedora 35. There's a lot of cool stuff, like for example, uh, Fedora 35 Workstation was upgraded to GNOME 41, which is a lot of improvements to the workflow and adds new, uh, like the new connections app and a bunch of other stuff. There's also some uh, PipeWire's new session manager with WirePlumber is now available in Fedora 35. So, so cool. There's a lot of potential for that kind of thing. And there's also a lot of other things. So I'm curious, let's let's start off with Jill. What was your impression of Fedora 35? And also, which additions did you try out? Oh boy. So first, I actually upgraded from Fedora 34 to 35 using the, I actually used GNOME software from a bare metal Fedora 34 GNOME install from one of my computers. It's the one I've been mostly running Fedora 34 on. And it went really smooth. And this is actually, I'm, I'm always a little nervous actually using the software center for such things because I feel more com- comfortable using command line and I usually use DNF when I yeah. do the updates. I totally understand but, that. I kind yeah. of did it. I just used the command line. So I- yeah. You know, this this is a it it proves that the GNOME uh, software has really improved because there That's were great. very few glitches. You know, up, upgrading it, actually none. It it went beautifully. Awesome. And um, I noticed one of the things I noticed what in this version that was really cool is that the Fedora thirty five GNOME tutorial shows you how to use the three fingered gestures for a touchpad as well. 
And I thought that was a really good, you know, good uh, inclusion, especially for the new user coming over. Yeah. The gnome tour is interesting. I really like the gnome tour and like certain parts of it is very helpful. Like you hit the, it tells you to hit the super key to open the thing, the overview. And then there's other things it tells you to do, but you can't do them until you activate the super key to do it. So it's kind of interesting how you have to, like it gives you another step, but you have to first do the first. So it's just kind of a little wonky in how that works. But as you were talking about the multi-touch stuff, I, mm-hmm. I can't wait. Uh, we, we This was such a really <laughs> cool thing that I want everything to adopt because I, I started making it a, it became a game. Like I was sort of doing like a, a DJ on my touchpad going back and forth my workstations or oh, work, workspaces cool. and stuff. I haven't played with it yet on a uh, either a touchscreen monitor or the, the pad yet, but I mm. do want to do that for sure. I was also impressed with uh, Fedora 35 is that with the new GNOME, the GNOME Software Center is so much cleaner. It's faster mm-hmm. and prettier to look at. And the GNOME Foundation has really, really um, been focusing on making that a better experience. And it definitely is. <laughs> Very cool. It's m- much improved. Absolutely. Yeah. So I also created a VM of the Fedora 35 XFCE spin as well. <laughs> nice choice. Nice choice. Yeah. Because that's the one I, I use. Uh, well, I've used uh, the GNOME spin, but um, I also use the XFC spin a lot because that's I just love XFCE. And what I have to say about their their implementation of it is how minimal the XFCE layout is, and that the applications menu defaults actually on the top left of the top panel instead of in the bottom panel. Like I I thought that was uh, that's a a really good thing for for Fedora to do, especially for people coming from GNOME. And one of my favorite things about this new version is the light blue theming of the icons in um, the bottom panel of XFCE. Um, I think they beautifully match with the new blue abstract wallpaper for Fedora, which I actually really love. It's it's very different from from Fedora 34s. Um, and is a, a lot more abstract compared to kind of the, the dreamy landscape of Fedora 34. But I love it because I love abstract wallpapers. So in each of the versions, the GNOME and XFCE, it was so fluid with the desktop wallpaper, all the colors. Just very beautiful theming. So you had no issues installing Fedora 35. Was there any install problems, anything where Software Center wasn't working, or any sound problems, mm-hmm. Wi-Fi cards, anything like that? No. That's I, awesome. Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. I remember I had a few a little glitches with Fedora 34 install with uh, mounting the hard drive for the install. Sometimes there's there's little issues where it doesn't you have to have to click it twice for it to to recognize it, but I didn't find that with this install. Very nice. So for me as somebody who's been spending a lot more time in I'll just point to my hat uh, utilizing Fedora 35 this week was a lot of fun. <laughs> I love Fedora and what they're doing here. I They have, in my opinion, gone from, and I know we've mentioned this before, a, for a from a desktop perspective, years ago, something that I honestly wouldn't even consider because there were just too many little paper cuts to, to me being a premier, this is the go-to distro for desktop users and something I would recommend to many people. There are a couple of distros I have in that top list, but Fedora is in the top three. 
uh, yes. for sure. Pop OS would be another example of one that I just think does the desktop so well. The I love the new connections app. This is an example of something mm. you could do before, but <laughs> now it's packaged in this really nice application and has this great getting started intro. And it just makes it easier, in my opinion, for somebody who's coming from, say, Windows or Mac OS to come into Linux for the first time in Fedora and be able to get to the software and things that they need very, very easily. Um, while it was there before, it seems like it's highlighted brighter and more colorful now to enable mm. third-party software. To me, that's a big deal. I, I couldn't remember if it was in 34, but when I opened it in 35, it just the banner seemed like a different color at the top, and it was very in-your-face to yeah. enable that third-party software if you wanted to, which I thought was a really nice touch because a new person would have no idea that they can't get everything there unless they go through these prompts and look for adding additional packages and things. So they just made it very, very clear there from the start, which I think is awesome. I did a fresh install on an HP ProBook to see what Fedora 35 was like and so I could kind of get my feet wet so we could kind of talk about it this week. And what I found was significantly less little issues like repos that haven't been updated or software that wasn't available in those repos and they haven't published it for the next version of Fedora 35 uh, or where Kodak errors where certain media files won't play or anything like that run into that in the past. And I have not seen that with Fedora 35. So I think they've done a, a really good job from that standpoint. The other thing I'd like to give a shout out to people like Matthew Miller, who have done an exceptional job of being involved in the community before Fedora 35 came out. They've been in the community talking about what's coming up. So people know what to expect. They can know what they're looking for as 35 launches. I downloaded Fedora workstation uh, right out of the box, I think if you were a new user and you were just looking for a distro that you could take off of a flash drive and plug in, Linus Tech Tips, are you listening? You plug this flash drive in and install, I'm serious, install <laughs> one time and not have any issues. I think Fedora gives you a really good chance of getting there. I think GNOME has, a, you talk about paper cuts, I think... I think that GNOME has room for improvement. Let's put it that way. But I, in well, fact... I want to go in there for a second because I've actually been using... Gnome a lot recently, and I like so many things they're doing. And I want to say that I like so many things that they're doing that in a lot of ways, I'm willing to put up with a lot of the paper cuts because some of the workflow and changes that they're making just really work well with me. I'm not saying sure. it for everybody work well with my workflow there, but this is actually one of the suggestions I have for Fedora here is, and this is my opinion only, is I would love to see the extension system built in more by default. Make it as right. apparent as you're making yeah. with the third-party yes. software because I think that people will be very confused, to your point, using Linux for the first time, coming into GNOME and not having things like minimize, maximize, um, not having status indicators for what applications are open, things that everybody mm -hmm. that I know, not saying everybody, everybody I know can't stand about GNOME, right? That they wish mm -hmm. those features would come back, but that the GNOME development team, for whatever reason, refuses to put them in, but you can add them back in through extensions. Those type of things is extensions is what makes GNOME for a lot of people that I know, again, usable. And I'm not yeah. saying everybody needs extensions because I know there's data out there that says, you know, a certain amount of percentage don't use extensions at all. I don't know how they do it. Hats off to them. But uh, I think making extensions a big part of that Fedora install, if they're going to stick with GNOME as their flagship, should be the next step that they look at. No, yeah. But you're right, though. We've got to make a decision. Either 
Gnome is a bare shell and not designed to be used out of the box. It's designed to, you're supposed to add the extensions that you want to customize your desktop. We go that route. Or the extensions are are just a way to supplement what GNOME should have. And eventually the GNOME designers will integrate the extensions that are highly sought after and make them part of GNOME proper. But we're kind of in this in-between land. And I don't think it's, I don't think that serves the community well. Yeah. Um, so that that's where I think there's some room for improvement. I mean, uh, to be clear for people who don't know, Fedora is heavy, heavy on the idea of upstream which means that they are making they're trying to make sure that whatever the upstream wants to publish they're going to try to publish as well and only make mod, like modifications at a minimal degree so they're still going to make some modifications to improve it overall but they're trying to you know make it close or also contribute heavily to upstream so that's one of the reasons why they don't have a lot of extension they don't have a lot of things like built in sometimes that could be a good thing but you know what we should talk about this whole we make fun about the the arch community being very loud and noisy well, let me introduce you to a part of Fedora community that's equally as loud. They're <laughs> called the Silver Bluers, and the people <laughs> who love Fedora Silver Blue will not stop talking about how awesome Fedora Silver Blue is. So I took a spin of Fedora Silver Blue because I haven't used it in a really long time, and I get it now to the army of Fedora Silver Blue users. It's really, really nice. So those who don't know what Silver Blue is, I'm going to give my very non-technical rundown or high level of it. It's basically flat pack based. It's immutable. And so it you're instead of you can install other things from the RPM OS tree if you if you want to, but it's really meant to be an immutable operating system, very difficult to break. Uh, everything's kind of sandboxed in its own way, yeah. utilizing with the flat packs as your main software. And it just works really, really well. But then Michael, they did this other thing called for <laughs> Kenonite. 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 This Kino-ite. is also a pronunciation show, if you all didn't know, uh, where Michael <laughs> teaches me how to think. Kenonite. 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 You're adding an extra N. There's not an extra N. <laughs> I want to add an extra N. They'll rename it for me. <laughs> it's awesome seeing KDE and things working so well with the same format, but utilizing the KDE. Um, the one thing I'll say that I ran into this was discover opens with unable to load application internet connectivity error. But if you go and click any of the categories, all the software is there and you can install mm-hmm. it and it works perfect. But they need to get rid of that first intro, at least it did for me, where it just starts with nothing's connected, even though it is type of thing. But this whole silver blue thing is really, really neat concept that I could see being utilized for new users that you don't want to support heavily but need mm-hmm. the basic functionality of a desktop environment would be very difficult for them to break it. I think Fedora Silverblue is pretty awesome. I see why there's so many people who won't stop talking about it. Yeah, yeah I know to, have, to have those up- updates from the Flat Hub, that's, that's really awesome. Um, it makes it easier for new users, you know, to just yep. in- and install those. And get KDE. Yeah. Right, the right cool the thing box. about Silverblue and, and, and Kinoite is really the, the factor of, like you were talking about how it's, it's flat pack based, but it's, it's a little more involved in that. The, the immutable concept 
is let's kind of break that down because I'm not in everybody when before I even heard of silver blue I didn't know what they <laughs> meant by this you know you you learn like the way that they're doing this is the value of it the immutable aspect is what makes it interesting because it's basically a layer of the system the core system and on top of that is your modifications your changes your applications but everything underneath is not touched by your changes and that's the that's not and, and typically how it works in every operating system is that you when you install something it will make a core change to the, the actual system, which when depending on how much you configure and how much you add, you're going to create a difference between what is expected by the developers and what you have. Whereas the approach for Silverblue and Kino White is that the core piece underneath does, doesn't change at all. So what they expect is is what you have so it makes it more reliable to and more consistent for them to develop for it and less likely to get bugs and that's the kind of the issue of uh, that's the 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 issue they were trying to solve with Silverblue and Kinoite and unfortunately I didn't have a chance to try out Kinoite because uh, I already have a KDE thing and because I've mm. been using Fedora as my daily driver for over a year when Ryan said something about how we're going to do a review of the latest Fedora, I was like, <laughs> I'm good. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then I thought, but maybe that's not fair. So I had a little voice in my head that sounds somewhat like Ryan start saying something that I mentioned uh, last episode where he's like, we well, need to reassess things because your opinion might be, you know, it might be tainted if you haven't looked at it in, in a couple of years or so. So like, okay, fair enough. It has been a while since I've used GNOME and I haven't used the latest GNOME 4041 <laughs> uh, era of GNOME. So I guess I will, like, I, I listen to you the- You love it, and it's your favorite now, and you're going to get a GNOME 41 shirt. Okay, I, okay, I don't know what's, where, where, where you're going with this. Oh, anyway, I'm still using Plasma, obviously. Oh, okay. But okay, just, uh, I do think there are cool things about GNOME. Like I mentioned, the uh, three-finger uh, touchpad um, tr- gesture swiping between workspaces is really cool. You, you're like a DJ because it goes so smooth. <laughs> uh, but there's also other things that I- I never, I didn't think I would actually want this, but it was a little off-putting at first. But I realized I liked it, and it was because, like, when you, uh, when sometimes on laptops you have uh, the left side of the touchpad and the right side of the touchpad are the left and right click, and that's not how it works on the la- the the GNOME 35 touchpad or the GNOME 41 on Fedora 35 touchpad. It's one click anywhere at the bottom for left click, two clicks, two fingers for right click and three fingers for middle click. And at first uh, I thought that was kind of odd, but then I got it used to it and I really like it. It it's, it reminds me of how you would do it on uh, this is a weird reference to but it's like how you would do um like remote desktop experience from a touchscreen like a phone or a tablet. And it just yeah. makes it it actually works quite well and it makes it so I don't accidentally hit the middle click or the, you know, depending on where I am on the touchpad, it does, it's not an, it's not the the one thing I don't want. It's just, if I, I have to remember which, how many fingers to put down. So that's still got to get used to that part, but I do like it. And I think that's, that's a cool approach. I'd never, you know, the only thing I don't think, uh, the only thing that's problematic about that is that it's not obvious how to do that so it needs to be put in the gnome, the gnome tour or something because i just started trying things until i figured out how it worked so um, you're saying that your experience from what you thought gnome was to using it changed when you started using it full-time as in your perception of it improved 
my perception of it improved. I already knew I liked the way they were moving with the horizontal workflow because I used the horizontal workflow on my plasma. So I, when they switched it, I knew I was going to like that part. So there were things that I was already aware of because of doing shows like this and Twill that I, I was already aware of the things that made the changes that they have made. But experiencing it is a whole new thing. You know, just because you you know what they've done does not mean you know what they've done. You know, so once multi-touch support is a perfect example yes. of this, because I think what you said there is really key for people to, to hear, because a lot of us have these preconceived ideas again, because we've used things in the past. We've had good experiences or maybe you read forums and you see everybody hating on something but until you personally actually go in there and use it. It's kind of hard to be a judge. And let me tell you, the multi-gesture support is something that a lot of people probably initially have gone without for so long and go, I don't need it. It's not that important. It doesn't work in my workflow until you actually adapt it into your workflow. And mm -hmm. then when you go to a machine that doesn't have it, you're doing that same thing. You're like, <laughs> why do I not have multi-touch gesture support in here where I can swipe to open things, close things, move to different workspaces? It's ingenious and it can make your workflow so much faster especially if you're dealing with a lot of workspaces in there. And these are things that Gnome's focused their attention on that I think they should have pray, a lot of praise for because they they are some of the first ones to do it and do it correctly, in, in my opinion, in there. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I, th I think there's a lot of cool things that Gnome has done over the years and their modifications. And I think 40 to 41, there are some improvements to it. But I, I do want to say that there it's, it's not really... Uh, like it's not totally changed my workflow, but it has made me want to, con you know, consider testing it out in my desktop workflow, in my desktop experience, and get like one an external touchpad that you attach, you know, through USB or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like kind of want to that Jelly Comb that oh, you can yeah, do yeah. all the swipes from. Jelly Comb nice. is cool. a good one to check out. Nice. It works well in GNOME. Yeah, that, Michael, cool. does the swiping have you noticed in uh, GNOME with the um, you know, horizontal workflow? Mm -hmm. Is it as cool as using a WebOS with gestures? <laughs> or I mean, I mean, as, uh, as a WebOS fanboy, <laughs> I don't think there's ever a chance that anybody could compete with WebOS. But yeah. uh, I do think it ha it is improvement. And and here's a, there's a funny <laughs> thing about it is if you compare. Like, just go look at what WebOS looked like on a tablet and compare it to what GNOME looks like now. It's yes. very close. Like, it's <laughs> very close. It is a different experience overall in the sense of, like, I think WebOS was, like, not really a great tablet interface, but an amazing phone interface. And exactly. this could be yeah. a good tablet interface, even though I know it's not made to be. Like oh, I, I said know. that years ago. If you yeah. go back to years before you even joined the show, my I was talking about no one would make a fantastic tablet interface. I remember people yeah. got so mad at that, like that was insulting. I'm like, it's not insulting, dude. I think it it's my Linux just stop trying. Right. Yeah. I think it tablet. flows perfectly for a tablet. The <laughs> mm -hmm. way that it has your interface pop up when you you know you click the Absolutely. the application menu and yeah. things. It's just I think it's well suited for that, and also obviously works really well for a desktop as well. We use more than just the two main DEs on, on Fedora. We, uh, Jill yeah. talked about FCCE, but we, uh, we also tried other ones. I tried LXQt and Cinnamon. And I got to say, the Cinnamon version of Fedora is very nice. It is. Oh, cool. It is impressive. I, I like it. Would you use it for a daily driver? I, I'm curious. I'm, I'm actually I'm quite tempted to put it on a spare drive and you know switch back and forth and test to see the experience. So I'm really curious about your dive into cinnamon here because there's a lot of drama going on in the Linux community with the desktop environment space, which we're going to avoid. <laughs> but through that drama, I've seen some interesting comments. A lot of people talking about using cinnamon 
in place of any of these others. They're, they're stating that right or wrong, again, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with them, KDE's too bloated or has too many settings, is too hard for a new user to use or too many paper cuts. GNOME doesn't have the stuff people want with the indicators and things like that, an extension system by default, but Cinnamon is the best of both worlds. After playing with Cinnamon a little bit, what do you think, Michael? Is Cinnamon the best of both worlds there for somebody looking for that in-between? So it's it's a good option for sure, and it depends on the the average that like whatever users uh, hardware depending on what distro they use and all that kind of thing. So it's not like it's the best of the both, but because it does have a level of customization that is more than many dis many DEs, and it has uh, a nice polish up front. Uh, so I do think it is a great option. However, uh, there are you know depending on uh, for, like Fedora Cinnamon and, and Linux Mint Cinnamon are some, somewhat different. Uh, but it, it, I found that Fedora Cinnamon was really nice because I get the benefit of Fedora, but I also get the Cinnamon desktop, and it was very. It's a very, um, it's an enlightening experience because I have never tried that before. And to be clear, before I used GNOME, and but be, well, before I used GNOME as a daily driver, GNOME three, and before I used uh, Plasma as a daily driver, I was using Cinnamon for a while. So I I have a lot of experience in Cinnamon, and I do think it is a good DE. And it is a good out-of-the-box DE because you don't have to do a ton of customizations if you don't want to. But it's not necessarily the best of both worlds because it does feel like some ways that it's a it's kind of sluggish depending on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but overall, it's a good DE if you're you know if you want that kind of experience. That's interesting. You mentioned sluggish because that's the first word that came to my mind. First was yeah. beautiful because I love cinnamon. The second here, was, yeah. and I haven't used it in a couple of years probably now, but I remember back then going, the only reason I'm going to switch from this is because sometimes things felt like they were sluggish. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they were. They felt that way. The animations or something they were doing just made it feel like mm -hmm. it had this delay all the time. And I've got this premium hardware. I'm like, I shouldn't be seeing menus like pop weird up or, or things like that. So that was your experience now, recently too, is it felt more sluggish than GNOME? That's interesting. It still feels it still feels a little sluggish because of like for those who don't know, Cinnamon is a fork of GNOME, but it was a fork of GNOME a long time ago, like ten years ago. So the things that the issue is that all the cool stuff that is in the current versions of GNOME are not in the version of that Cinnamon has because it's they're they're they diverted a lot. So the, one of the things that I feel like it's sluggish is because like there's a thing that a lot of people are aware of because we, we talked about it a couple times I guess uh, but gnome ha used to have a single processor assist a system for their shell and it would and it create a, a sluggish feel and that's why people uh, you know when they felt like it, it kind of didn't make sense why it didn't have a lot of features but it still felt kind of slow and now that for gnome 40 and gnome 41 don't have that problem because they've they've addressed it and it's no longer a single process but Cinnamon was a fork of GNOME when it was a single process. So Cinnamon inherits that single process thing, which is one of the reasons I think it feels sluggish. Uh, yeah. I could be wrong about that, but there are some times where I'm moving a window around and it feels like it's kind of taking too long. Now, it's just milliseconds, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, milliseconds... You still pick up on it, yeah. Yeah, you still kind of feel it. You, it's like a, per a perception of, of speed. What I've noticed um, with Cinnamon, because I've, I've used it heavily with Linux Mint and with Ubuntu, is that I actually turn the compositor off, and that seems to improve things a lot. And uh, I, I do that for playing games, so on, on uh, Cinnamon. You know what's actually kind of funny? 
<laughs> the, I, com- I completely agree. Turning off the compositor mm-hmm. for some DEs are, is actually great. However, yeah. with plasma, I, I, keeping oh, the compositor yeah. on is better, which <laughs> it's is better. Yeah, so it's weird. Faster. It's like the complete opposite. <laughs> and I, like, there's a feature inside of Plasma, like usually it's on by default, like most distros, like check it on by default. And it says, uh, allow applications to disable the compositor when it goes into whatever. So like some games will turn off the mm-hmm. compositor. And if you turn that, if you uncheck that box, it will actually be a better experience. It's kind of weird, but it, it it's, it's, it's kind of funny how like some DEs, you, the compositor makes it better, and sometimes the compositor slows it down a little bit. Just depends on how it all works. But I think that's yeah. a that's a great point. So, what happens when you don't have that perfect medium? Maybe you've been using GNOME and you're releasing a distro out there, and you're not able to get the features that you want in there. Well, you know what you could do? You could make your own desktop environment, and that's what we're going to talk mm. about next. But before we get to that, this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. It's to get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to get peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, it provides you with multiple tools. You get a password manager for like it's a vault that stores all your passwords. It's an auto it auto generates those passwords for you and even automatically fills in passwords for you on login forms. So you don't have to do any of this stuff. And in fact, the auto generation of the passwords is such a useful thing because you should have a different password for every account on every website that you go to. And if you don't, well, you're not having the best practice, so you need to get Bitwarden so you can fix all of that and do it automatically with the generator and the vault. And you can access across all the different types of devices you have, whether you want to use a web browser, mobile apps, desktop application, or even on the command line, you can use Bitwarden to do that. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption for it ever leaves your devices, so you're now the only person with access to your data. But maybe you need to share data across different uh, other accounts. Maybe you have a business account that you want to share it with employees, or maybe you have family account, you want to share it with your, your friends and your family, and you're, you know you basically can help people get started with these accounts by setting up organizational vaults and sharing passwords back and forth. It makes it a lot easier to get started with a multiple account situation by going to Bitwarden. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium account because there's so much great stuff in there and it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right. You get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. All of this for less than a dollar per month. That's right. Such a ridiculously good price gets you started with a ridiculously good password manager. So check it out, bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So as Ryan mentioned, what happens if two open source projects have a difference of opinion that they can't overcome? Well, System76 has been revealed that they are working on a new desktop environment. Uh, Basically, they're taking the cosmic desktop modifications that they were doing with the GNOME shell and the GNOME extensions and creating their own desktop environment. And I'm very interested to see what happens with this. I am super excited Pop! OS is doing this. I do think... Pop! OS is the premium premier GNOME experience. If you're not a GNOME fan mm-hmm. and you want to see what Pop! OS is about or what GNOME is about, go to Pop! OS. You will see GNOME at its absolute best, at its finest. And I think it's really, really darn good from the tiling to the uh, other extensions that they utilize that just make the desktop for a developer's perspective more usable. Unfortunately, 
there's things and rifts and things where one doesn't feel like enough, the other's doing enough upstream and the other feels like uh, they're not being listened to. And it's a real shame. But the great thing about Linux is when you have a real shame like that, it can be resolved because System76 has the resources, capability, and talent to go build their own DE. And I'm pumped about that. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what they can deliver here Absolutely. because I've seen what they've delivered in GNOME. I've seen mm-hmm. that they took GNOME, which has a great foundation, a beautiful foundation, and made it even better, in my opinion. I think what they could do here is take a full desktop and let them go nuts on some of the implementations. Now, I think they're going to use some of the back ends and things. Who knows what they'll end up doing? Maybe some things from GTK. There's like a GTK uh, RS, for instance, for uh, that they could implement here between their codes. So they could probably pull out some existing things from different projects to make their own desktop environment. But the constant back and forth of is there a good in between the KDE and the GNOME world and all of this, this might be it. It might be Cosmic. Cosmic might be the thing that really becomes the new flagship desktop experience. And even if it doesn't, it's just another choice, which I'm fine with. I love playing exactly. with different Exactly. Experimentation and choice. That's what Linux is all about. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you, um, Ryan. At some point, I knew that the changes they wanted to make with the GNOME desktop we're actually not going to be enough. And, you know, I kind of was feeling that, that they kind of wanted to start working on their own DE. So, and I I think that using um, Rust is really a good choice, again, because of the Linux kernel um, starting to use some Rust elements in the future. So this makes sense. And it could make the the desktop environment so fast. Yeah, I want to. I think those are great points. And I also wanted to cover, like, there's a question that has been asked because of this announcement or this reveal that they're working on this. There's been a lot of people who have asked the question, do we need another DE? And that's a very valid question. But I would also like to remind people that when System76 announced that they were going to make Pop OS, one term was changed and it was people saying, do we need another distro? And, and System76 proved that it was not just yes, another distro. We did. Exactly. So like yeah. y- they, they proved that they, they had something to offer, and it was a unique approach. They did the hardware enablement su- approach. They, they made some changes to GNOME, and they made an improved GNOME, and they made the, the tiling aspect built into GNOME. Like all these different things, they proved that they had a reason to make a distro. And so I think that it's we need to give them some you know, time to say, you know, you want to make another DE, You've already proven yourself with the distro that you made. Let's see what you have for the DE. And I think that that is the much more fair approach because they've already proven themselves. They've already proven they're a good steward of the community and all of that. So let's just see what's, what's going to happen. And I'm super excited to see what they're going to do. So if you look at what System76 has built their brand on, it's by serving the existing Linux community and being welcoming to newcomers. So Canonical decides to make this decision to ship to switch to GNOME over Unity. So they say, okay, well, if we're going to make a change, we're going to make sure that it benefits the people who buy the computers from us and that need to use Linux on a database basis. We're going to create stability for them. And I was one of the first people to say, I think they're nuts. I think this is crazy. This is never going to work. And man, I've done 180 degree and then some uh, since then. Pop OS, I would say today, delivers a better experience out of the box than vanilla GNOME does. And the great thing about System76 is they're constantly contributing back upstream. So I would second what you said, Michael, about them being a good steward to Mm -hmm. the community. So they absolutely do have a track record of serving the community in this way. And I think this is evidence that they're continuing to do so. 
This is another thing they mentioned that this aims to be distro agnostic. So how exciting is that? Awesome. That mm-hmm. it, This would be a very different story if they're like, listen, we're going to write our own thing. It only works on our type of laptops. You have to buy one of our laptops to get this desktop environment experience. Uh, and we're going to give it to nobody else. But they're starting off right away utilizing the open source methodology, right? It's going to be distro agnostic. Everybody can utilize it and, and try it out and benefit from it. It's going to take some time. We're not going to have this tomorrow. But this should be, people should be encouraged by this. Based on what they've done with Pop! OS, I remember the same thing all you are saying about when Pop! OS first came out. They're just like, oh, this is Ubuntu with a wallpaper. Boy, were they wrong. Oh, yeah. And was exactly. I so <laughs> thankful for Pop! OS when I was running my mouth like crazy about all the new AMD stuff and how well it's going to run on Linux and no distro worked. Not one of them, not Arch, none of them. But you know which did boot? Pop! OS. Pop! OS was the only one that did the hardware enablement for the boot issue that happened when Ryzen first released with AMD. They were the only ones that had it fixed in there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just a huge fan. of their And history. including NVIDIA drivers in their ISO. Yeah. That was huge. That was a game changer. You know, everyone has yeah. done it since then, but they were the first. Absolutely. The, the only thing I'm going to say as a, we'll call it an opportunity for improvement. Could we please revisit the whole name thing? Pop exclamation mark. You okay. know what? I'm with you on that. Oh, okay. I hate just typing it in an article. I'm, you know, I'm okay with the name. I just hate typing it because nope, it's like nope. pop exclamation mark underscore. I, I, I'm okay with the name if it was just Pop West. Like the, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the it's, it's the punctuation that's weird. But it, it, you know what? The weird thing about when you talk about putting in an article, putting in the, sh- in the notes, if you're doing markdown, it makes everything italics because of the single starting <laughs> underscore. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I didn't that's think about funny. that. <laughs> For all you don't, don't, who don't know, Michael just recently moved, and it's always a lot of work, and it's it's a pain, especially because he's moved, like, what, th- uh, two times in the last year? Yep, two so. times in a year. Yep. <laughs> so, and so he spent, you know, a, a lot of this last week uh, moving moving into his new place. And we have a game, actually, specifically made for Michael called Unpacking. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so don't laugh. Actually, this is a real thing, and it has 15, 1,534 very positive reviews on Steam and is actually climbing. And uh, That blows my the, mind. I, I yeah. don't how, I, how. What do you mean how, Michael? Think about the proficiency <laughs> you could gain every time you move if you played this game and learned how to unpack properly. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Okay, good point. <laughs> so the the game on Steam describes itself like this. Unpacking is a zen puzzle game about the familiar experience of pulling possessions out of boxes <laughs> and fitting them into a new home. It's part <laughs> okay. block fitting puzzle, part home decoration. <laughs> You're invited to Made create a you. satisfying living space while learning clues about the life you're unpacking. And yeah, let's let's learn a little bit about un- unpacking <laughs> with In Michael. Fact, could you live stream next time you move? You unpacking all your possessions so we can uh, psychoanalyze them. I think that's a requirement at this point. Yeah, yeah that would I mean, be amazing. Yeah, for sure. There is one thing I did watch a little bit of this game in terms of like I saw it in the notes. Like we're gonna cover this. Uh, it's gonna be <laughs> something related to the. Okay, sure. So I checked it out, and uh, it shows the once they finish the box, the box disappears. I yeah. want that so much. That oh, is the boxes yes. to just yes. disappear. That is the worst so part about moving. Is that you're, out. Yeah, you're done unpacking <laughs> and there's a hundred boxes. boxes and you're like, what yeah. do I do with these boxes? Yeah. 
So true. And me, you know, I actually love puzzle games like this that are very zen and relaxing. And, you know, this one actually satisfies my organizational OCD because I am very, you know, very put everything in its place at 90 degree angles. You just flew Jill to your house, Michael, and been done with it. (laughs) You could have done no work at all. If that's the case, Jill, next time I move, I'm flying you out. That's cheaper than, in my opinion, than me having to break stuff because I get mad and just throw it in the trash. I'm like, I don't want to unpack it. Throw the box yeah. away. Tired. Well, I'm actually a bit in the middle of this myself with this room because I'm getting ready to remodel it. So I'm putting everything in boxes. And I had over 100 computers in here. And it's taken a long time. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> So this game, it, it has a lot of cool features. You, you actually unpack a home from a single bedroom to an entire house. And it's got very meditative gameplay with no timers, meters, or scores. So you don't have to have to do it in, in a certain amount of time, which will help Michael. I, I mean, that, that, yes, I'm, I'm not the most uh, efficient thing of unpacking, of, as people know that on the hardware addicts. But I, I just, I think that it's kind of, um, I'm kind of, it's, I think I asked for a DLC to add like a meter or a score system so I could show Ryan just how slow he unpacks in comparison. That, oh, that is a good point. You know, yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's funny that you can gamify something that my kids would absolutely refuse to do in real life. Yep. Like if if I was like going, we put all the boxes in the room when we moved recently, like unpack your stuff. And of course they would, you know, move stuff here and there or get the main toys they wanted. But otherwise the boxes stayed there. But I guarantee you if yeah. I sat them in front of this game, they would sit there and just be playing it the whole time and have fun <laughs> with it. We're gamifying things that we don't want to do in real life. It blows yeah. my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, this game, you can also, uh, one of the cool things is you, you can actually explore your domestic environments with all their nick, nooks and crannies <laughs> while Very you cool. stack plates, hang towels, and arrange bookshelves. And what's also really cool is you can discover uh, uh, the character's uh, story through the items. It's, it's a lady and through the items that come with her to each new home. So you don't actually see the character. And that's something very unique about this game. You don't see the character, yeah. but you get you to interact with her Like a stool, things. for instance, you'd be like, oh, this person doesn't know whether they want to sit or stand. That, yeah. They're very confused. Yeah. You know, when you see a stool, you're just like, oh, this person makes fantastic decisions. I, 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 and I, too, like active sitting. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of active sitting, the Destination Linux Network, you go to dlnstore.com, you get your own active sitting shirt. <laughs> so another great thing about this game is that, is that it has a incredible, beautifully dreamy soundtrack by Jeff Van Dyke. He's one of my favorite musicians who does uh, game soundtracks. And he was also the composer for the Total War franchise and the audio director for the game Alien Isolation, which is one of my favorite games on Linux. And uh, and his team actually won a BAFTA award. So the the music is... Is excellent. I I in I had downloaded the soundtrack, um, bought the soundtrack, and I just play it in the background this last week. It's been really fun. And I still have a little just, bit of unpacking to do, so I might get to the soundtrack and just see how that helps. Yeah, me unpack. <laughs> yeah, unpack with the soundtrack. Perfect idea. <laughs> and this is really an awesome game for nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents on Steam. So go unpack and clear your mind. Well, this week in the software spotlight. If you're not going to learn how to unpack properly, how about you learn a new language out there? And what better to do it than have a piece of software called RStudio? So we're going to discuss software uh, that you can use to do some really awesome things in analytics and also a class that you could take with it. You get all of this 
in the software spotlight this week. So the company RStudio, by the way, which creates a suite of tools for the programming language of R that we're talking about is heavily committed to open source. In fact, 50% of its engineering resources for the entire company is spent on open source software, which is pretty cool. Now, they do have obviously enterprise level software and things like that that they charge for, but they spend a lot in the open source realm in there and they contribute to a lot of open source projects. Now, R, the language, if you're not familiar with it, is used for deep analytics, statistics, and graphing. It's a tool for analysts and data scientists out there. And analysts, by the way, represent one of the fastest growing careers out there. Everybody needs analysts and more of them. I'm speaking personally here as well. Like we hire so many analysts or trying to get so many analysts because there's so much data that you're having to contend with coming from so many different areas now. And how do you manage all that big data? How do you take all of this data that the world is constantly pouring out and find a way to make it tell something, tell what's happening with your customers? Are your customers happy? Are they mad Uh, when they're calling into the phone lines? How long is too long to wait? How long is uh, not long enough? I mean, there's just so many things that people are trying to analyze in companies and programming languages like R and utilizing tools like RStudio help people to be able to break that data down into chunks that are useful and actionable with organizations. So if you want, you can download this open source suite for RStudio, and then you can also go sign up for a course. As of the time of this coming out, it is free. It's from Coursera, and it's called the Data Scientist Toolbook. And that course is completely through the course era. It's done through John Hopkins University and you can audit it for free. I should say you, if you want the certificate, you have to pay for that, but you can audit that entire course for free, download our studio, start learning data analytics, and it may help you uh, in your career for sure. Or for your job searching because data analytics is just really Mm -hmm. big right now. Yeah, I think this is really interesting, and I'm, I'm I'm glad you put it on the show. But I also have to let you know you you pronounced it wrong. It's not our studio. It's actually in inspiration by Jack Sparrow. Otter Studio. Oh come on! They're you know pirates. you know you had me because anytime you say you know you mispronounced, I assume you're really going to give me a legit mispronunciation <laughs> because I mispronounce a lot of stuff. Yeah. The, okay. But, <laughs> oh, come on, Jill. Because I am half blind, literally. So I have passed. Did you all prepare this little this, skit no. here? This just worked out beautifully. Okay. Nice. Wow. You want to join in to more Linux events out there? Well, I'm going to go through three Linux events that you need to mark down on your calendar. One of them, you might be able to learn some additional backup and connectivity and server stuff in as well. Maybe two of them, actually, now that I'm looking at the list. The first one I want to mention that you need to mark down is December 13th, 2021, going from 9 a.m. on December 13th to 9 a.m. on December 14th. If you did the math there, go ahead, Noah, do the math, carry the one minus the two, that's 24 (laughs) hours because it's a 24-hour stream that Matt from DLN Extend is going to run, and he's doing that for charity out there. So if you want to be a part of it, go help him support St. Jude's. He's going to be gaming all through that 24-hour period. Clear your calendars. I bet you're going to see special appearances from people like Jill, Michael, myself. Noah might show up. You never know who could pop in that day just to say hi, maybe play some games and those things. So make sure you mark your calendar for that event. And it's awesome that he's doing that for charity. Absolutely. 
The Linux Foundation also has an event going on. This is a virtual event, December 14th through the 15th. 80 plus sessions covering Linux systems, open source dependability, cloud native development, AGL security, AI and machine learning, AR navigation and mapping. That's December 14th and 15th. That's pretty awesome virtual event for you to check out and attend. And you could do that right after the game stream because it starts on the 14th. The game stream starts on the 13th. You got two days of amazing events right there to kick off. And then of course, this week, you got the Red Hat Summit Connect in Atlanta, Georgia. So if you're in the Georgia area, this is a live event. You can go to redhat.com uh, slash summit connect Atlanta, and you're going to see that they have all kinds of different events um, planned there throughout this summit to get labs hands-on um, and discuss, of course, and meet with other people in the industry. Whoa, hold on, hold on a second. Are you saying see people in person like real live IRL. people that's yeah. a thing again yeah, 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 yeah. the mako yes, ii I, I bot is confused Slowly. about this huh. um humans can go outside <laughs> oh. oh okay okay got it got it got it i'll update the software yeah. now it is important <laughs> to note that you will be required to attend this event uh to have your full vaccination proof and uh to wear masks and things so just keep that in mind but if you're in the atlanta area this is a really cool lab for you to go attend and it's put on by Red Hat November 18th. Really cool stuff. So I hope some of you can tell us about that event if you attend that. We've got all kinds of good stuff going on in the Linux community. To me, that's super exciting. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. So a huge thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by listening, watching, however you do it to Destination Linux. We love your faces. And a huge thank you to our patrons who get all kinds of awesome perks, unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events, live recordings of Destination Linux every Sunday, and they get the unedited versions of the show if they can't make it Sunday that they can go back and watch any time. It's pretty awesome. And they get to hang out with the crew in the after show as well. So consider becoming a patron. And thanks to all of you for supporting Destination Linux. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. And we can't wait to see you in the chat. And like I mentioned earlier, you can get an active sitting shirt by going to DLNstore.com. You can also get a bunch of other cool swag by getting there. So you can get stickers, mugs, hoodies, T-shirts, uh, backpacks, so much stuff. All, all that's available at DLNstore.com. And make sure to check out all our wonderful shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and get your Fedora hat on with the Fedora podcast. So everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these great shows. And please don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source to keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. See you, everyone. That was the timing of that. Oh my god! That was the fact that you had that nearby was really, really. Yeah, that was perfect. Yeah, that worked.